Kathy Newman Revisited. Mr. Reagan. It has been almost one year since the infamous Kathy Newman interview. I thought it was about time that we look back at this incredibly powerful moment in the history of the intellectual dark web. When I started my YouTube channel, Mr. Reagan, this event had long passed, so I never had a chance to do an in-depth analysis about it, but I always wanted to. To me, this interview should go down in history as a critical moment in the development of the intellectual discourse of the 21st century. This interview should be required viewing for every journalism student everywhere in the world from now until eternity as an example of unethical journalism. So without further ado, this is my analysis of the Kathy Newman-Jordan Peterson interview. Jordan Peterson, you've said that men need to, quote, grow the hell up. Tell me why. Men need to grow the hell up. (laughs) This is a fair question. Including the words the hell in his call to men to act more mature, Jordan Peterson turns a bit of advice into an admonition. It is not a tactful declaration. It's a provocative indictment. And provocative indictments need explaining. So this is precisely what a reporter should be asking about. Jordan Peterson encourages such questioning by the nature of the statement. So nothing inappropriate here yet from Kathy Newman. Well, because there's nothing uglier than an old infant. There's nothing good about it. It, People who don't grow up don't find the sort of meaning in their life that sustains them through difficult times, and they are certain to encounter difficult times. And they're left bitter and resentful and without purpose and adrift and hostile and resentful and vengeful and arrogant and deceitful and and of no use to themselves and of no use to anyone else and no partner for a woman and there's nothing in it that's good. Jordan Peterson has a very noble goal here and he seems to be the only one in society addressing this problem. We all know that there are men who are living lives of complacency in 2018. Video games, welfare, and the luxury of modern society has created an environment where a man can live his entire life holed up in his mom's basement and never engage in the world ever. It occurred to me the other day that this may be the counterbalance to our stalled evolution. Modern medicine and the Christian ethic of helping the poor and the sick have led to a world in which the best genes don't carry on. All genes carry on. But as our society becomes more opulent, the more opportunity there will be to escape from it. Those who escape fully will never procreate. They will disappear into their video games, their movies, their bingeable TV shows, and they will not interact physically with other humans. So again, only the strong will survive because only the strong will engage. That said, it's very sad that men escape society. And I had a profound realization recently. Mere happiness will not make you happy. Happiness alone will actually make you miserable. Happiness, classically defined, is all the things that we conceive of as pleasant, comfortable, fun, all things positive. But in order to feel right in this world, we must be progressing toward a goal. And when we progress, we feel it. We feel a kind of pressure against us. We feel struggle. And so struggle is necessary for true satisfaction. Progress towards a goal is dynamic. Mere happiness is static. But the human creature thrives on a dynamic environment, and it atrophies in a stagnant one. So what Jordan Peterson calls taking on responsibility, I call progressing toward a goal. But this is essentially the same thing. So you say, I mean, that sounds pretty bad. You're saying there's a crisis of masculinity. I mean, what do you do about it? You help people understand why it's necessary and important for them to grow up and adopt responsibility, why that isn't a shake your finger and get your act together sort of thing, why it's more like 
a delineation of the kind of destiny that makes life worth living. I've been telling young men, and, but it's not, I wasn't specifically aiming this message at young men to begin with. It just kind of turned out that way. And it's mostly, you admit, it's mostly men listening. I mean, it 90% is. of your audiences are men, Well, it's right? about 80% on, in, on YouTube, which is a, YouTube is a male domain primarily. So it's hard to tell how much of it is because YouTube is male and how, how much of it is because of what I'm saying. And so it begins. This is the first inkling we get that Kathy Newman is going for the throat here with Jordan Peterson. She says, you admit mostly men are listening. You admit? Why must this be an admission? I didn't realize it was a crime for one's audience to be men. To Kathy Newman, though, this is a sin that must be admitted to. Peterson's response is that it may just be that YouTube is mostly men. And Peterson is right. YouTube is primarily a male domain. But... I don't think he should be trying to explain this as if he is defending the sin. He should just say, yeah, they're men, and call her out on the absurdity of her insinuation. He should say something like, look, there are things that women need help with, and there are things that men need help with. You wouldn't point to a popular YouTube gynecologist and condemn him for having an all-female audience. I don't know what this accusation of mostly male audience is supposed to suggest. I can only assume that if Peterson is striking a chord with mostly males, the suggestion is that he's contributing to the evil patriarchy or some other such nonsense. What I've been telling young men is that there's an actual reason why they need to grow up, which is that they have something to offer, you know, that... that people have within them this capacity to set the world straight and that's necessary to manifest in the world. And that also doing so is where you find the meaning that sustains you in life. So what's gone so, wrong then? Oh God, all sorts of things have gone wrong. I, I think that, I don't think that young men are hear words of encouragement. Some, some of them never in their entire lives, as far as I can tell, that's what they tell me. And the fact that the words that I've been that I've been speaking, the YouTube lectures that I've done and put online, for example, have had such a dramatic impact is an indication that young men are starving for this sort of message because like, why in the world would they have to derive it from a lecture on YouTube? Now, they're not being taught that, they, that it's important to develop yourself. But does it, does it bother you that your audience is predominantly male? Does that, isn't, isn't that a bit divisive? A bit divisive, hmm. So every YouTuber has to equally attract men and women. Do we need to have an audience that precisely reflects the racial distribution in America? Gay versus straight? How about the disabled? Look, Kathy, people watch what they want. You don't pick your audience, lady. Your audience picks you. And why is it divisive anyway? Different people like different things. That's okay. The entire profession of marketing is predicated on understanding these differences. So there is something called the blank slate. This is the idea that genetics have no significant influence on our development. It's the theory that we're all born identical, and it's not until external influences act upon us that we begin to differ. So it's not because of genetics that I'm crap at basketball. My parents just didn't make me basketball-y. The short, fat, bald dude isn't short, fat, and bald because of his genetics, never mind that his dad and his uncles are all short, fat, and bald. No, it's just because he wasn't exposed to the tall, fit, and pompadour-esque environmental influences. It's a moronic theory that has been shown to be dangerously wrong. I think Kathy Newman, though, might live in a blank slate fantasy world in her mind. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's no more divisive than the fact that YouTube is primarily male and Tumblr is primarily well, that's divisive, female. Isn't well, it? Tumblr is primarily female. But you're just saying that's the way it is. Well, it's, 
I'm not saying anything. It's just an observation that that's the way it is. This is an interesting exchange. Jordan Peterson points out that human beings naturally congregate around their own interests. Men congregate around some things on the internet. Women congregate around others, like Tumblr. Kathy Newman then says, so what you're saying is, that's just the way it is. Jordan Peterson says, I'm not saying anything, it's just an observation. Kathy Newman's expression, so you're saying that's just the way it is, indicates that Jordan Peterson has some kind of control over the outcome of the situation. The way she phrases this question, uh, the accusatory tone, as well as her use of the word divisive, indicates that she believes that anything that divides men and women is naturally bad. I believe that this also indicates that her idea about the divisions between men and women are that they are artificial, that they are a condition of the patriarchy. Jordan Peterson's position is that these divisions naturally occur, that they are the result of the choices that men and women make. This fundamental difference in the perception of the world between Jordan Peterson and Kathy Newman creates the initial awkwardness in the conversation. Kathy Newman is accusing Jordan Peterson of an acceptance of an evil patriarchal system that he doesn't even believe exists. There's plenty of women that are watching my lectures and coming to my talks and buying my books. It's just that the majority of them happen to be men. What's in it for the women, though? Well, what sort of partner do you want? You want an overgrown child? Or do you want someone to contend with that's going to help you? This is actually a fair question. If I thought Kathy Newman was a reasonable person, I wouldn't even comment on it. But it's a good question to have asked, even though Kathy Newman is a psychopath. What is, as she says, in it for women? If most of Jordan Peterson's advice pertains specifically to men, why would women be fans of his? Firstly, I don't think his advice pertains exclusively to men. Women can absolutely benefit from Jordan Peterson's views on the world. It is always beneficial to understand the truth about the reality that we live in. Jordan Peterson expresses a lot of ideas that most of us have never heard before. So if we learn about these truths from him, whether we're male, female, black, white, Christian, atheist, they are beneficial to us. But you know what? Don't take my word for it. Listen to YouTuber Georgia Free. So many people of late have been influenced by the words of Dr. Jordan Peterson, myself included. I know that he says he aims his lectures mainly at young men, but I think his reach is broader than what he thinks. I've certainly spent many nights all snuggled up in bed watching his YouTube lectures on my laptop, and it's been amazing. Growing up in this feminist world, I've always had a sense of shame inwardly in admitting to both myself and to others that I do actually want to have a family. We are taught from a young age that success is not feminine that to be successful and happy, we have to have a great career and be able to be a breadwinner for the family. So the first and the most rudimentary lesson that Jordan Peterson has taught me is that it is okay to want what a woman wants. Hearing an authority figure say that in a way that makes it sound like it's common sense is just, it just fills me with such a sense of relief. So I just wanted to say thank you, Dr. Peterson, for explaining this in a way that it's is obvious, but in a way that makes me feel like it's okay that I'm having these conflicting thoughts in my head about what I have to do over the next few years, and it's really helped me put my priorities in the right order. Beyond the direct benefit Jordan Peterson's ideas have on women, most women have strong relationships with men. Those men might be their, their father, their brother, their husband, their son. In any case, understanding what is healthy and beneficial to the men in their lives is extraordinarily beneficial to them. Kathy Newman's take is that if it doesn't benefit women directly, it can't possibly be of any benefit to the world at all. She doesn't actually appear to be an egalitarian-minded person. She appears to be an aggressive feminist advocating for the benefit of women at the expense of men. What's in it for the women, though? 
well, what sort of partner do you want? Do you want an overgrown child? Or do you want someone to contend with that's going to help you? And that so you're you can saying rely on? women have some sort of duty to sort of help fix the crisis of masculinity? Well, it depends on what they want. So you're saying that women have a duty to help fix the crisis of masculinity. First of all, Kathy Newman asks, what's in it for the women? In other words, how might Jordan Peterson's ideas benefit women? Jordan Peterson then responds with an answer explaining why his ideas might benefit women. Kathy Newman then turns his answer into some kind of declaration of responsibility. She asks what the benefits might be. He answers, this is the benefit. And then she says, oh, so now you're burdening women with all this responsibility. What the hell are you talking about? Knowing how to benefit somebody you love is a beneficial opportunity. You don't have to take that opportunity. You can, maybe you should, but Peterson isn't prescribing some burden. But actually, I think he should have. I think he should have said, yes, we all have a duty to help those whom we love. That will only benefit our own lives. There is this obnoxious attitude that I've seen among many people these days, especially middle-aged women. It's an attitude of uncompromising self-righteousness. It's the, oh no, you didn't attitude. Like, if you do anything that unintentionally inconveniences me ever so slightly, it's the ultimate disrespect. It's severely offensive. Like, how dare Peterson suggest that women might help men in any way? What a misogynist swine. Women have some sort of duty to sort of help fix the crisis of masculinity. It depends on what they want. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly, exactly how I laid it out. Like, women want, deeply want, men who are competent and powerful. And, and I don't mean power in, in, the, in that they can exert tyrannical control over others. That's not power. That's just corruption. Power is competence. And why in the world would you not want a competent partner? Well, I, I know why, actually. You can't dominate a competent partner. So, so if you want domination, want dominate. Here's the second egregious instance of so what you're saying is. She says, "You think women want to dominate?" No, he's saying some women want to dominate. Psychologically damaged women maybe want to dominate. It's really funny in a way because what he's saying is very clear and her distortions of what he's saying are very obvious. Now, we all know that this gets worse. We've all seen this. But it just amazes me that she thinks that this is acceptable journalism. She thinks that she can take something that somebody says that's crystal clear and reiterate it as something that in no way reflects what was just said to her. This is an insane level of vanity. She has this unbelievably large ego that leads her to believe that her interview skills are so magnificent that she can actually manipulate her audience into believing that her guest said something completely and utterly different than what he actually said. This woman's ego rivals even my own. That is pretty incredible. So, so if you want women domination, want to dominate is that what you're saying? No, I'd say women who have had their relationships impaired with their relationships with men impaired and who are afraid of such relationships will settle for a weak partner because they can dominate them. But it's a suboptimal solution. Do you it think that's no what a lot of women good. are doing? What a smug, self-righteous bitch. The reason that Kathy Newman asked this question is obvious. She's trying to cast Jordan Peterson as a misogynist. She, for whatever reason, has come to this interview with a preconceived idea that Jordan Peterson is this patriarchal misogynist that needs to be revealed to the world for the evil sexist pig that he is. This is the antithesis of good journalism. It's feminist propaganda. Do you think that's no what a lot of women good. are doing? I think there's a substantial minority of women who do that. And I think it's very bad for them. They're very unhappy. It's very bad for their partners. Although their partners get the advantage of not having to take any responsibility. 
But what gives you the right to say that? I mean, maybe that's how women want their relationships, those women. I mean, you're making these vast generalizations. I'm a clinical psychologist. <laughs> Owned. This is hilarious. And what gives you the right to say that? I'm a clinical psychologist. Oh, right. <laughs> totally forgot about that. Crap. Of course, this is how some people want their relationships. Jordan Peterson isn't saying that people don't have the right to do whatever they want in their life. He's saying that sometimes what people want is not healthy for them. Sometimes what people want is driven by a trauma that they have never recovered from. Other desires are self-destructive or maybe even just not in their best interest. Either way, it's not good. People often want things for themselves that are not good. That doesn't mean that they don't have the right to those decisions, but having a right to a decision that's not good for you doesn't mean that the tendency for people to make such decisions is not a problem. <sighs> that was a mouthful, but I promise you, it made sense, I think. Right, so you've, you're saying you've done your research and women are unhappy dominating men. I didn't say they were unhappy dominating men. I you, said it was a bad long-term solution. Okay, you said it was it's making the them miserable. Thing. Yes, it is. And it depends on the time frame. I mean, there can be, there's intense pleasure in momentary domination. That's why people do it all the time. But it's no formula for a long-term, successful long-term relationship. That's reciprocal, right? Any long-term relationship is reciprocal, virtually by definition. His reply is basically what I said in my previous statement. Let me put a quote to you from the book, sure. where you say, there are whole disciplines in universities forthrightly hostile towards men. These are the areas of study dominated by the postmodern stroke neo-Marxist claim that Western culture in particular is an oppressive structure created by white men to dominate and exclude women. But then I want to put minorities to you, too, and dominate and exclude okay, minorities sure. and women. But I want to put to you that here in the UK, for example, let's take that as an example, the gender pay gap stands at just over 9%. You've got women at the BBC recently saying that the broadcaster is illegally paying them less than men to do the same job. You've got only seven women running the top FTSE 100 companies. You know what? I don't want to get into all the details as to why the gender pay gap is a myth, but if you want to know more about that, you should watch the movie The Red Pill by Cassie J, or simply watch her TED Talk. It's incredibly compelling. The fact that Kathy Newman, a well-respected reporter at Channel 4, somehow believes in the gender wage gap indicates either her level of ignorance or her level of bias or both. So it seems to a lot of women that they're still being dominated and excluded, to quote your words back to you. It does seem that way, but multivariate analysis of the pay gap indicate that it doesn't exist. But that's so just not do, true, is it? I mean, that 9% pay gap, that's a gap between median hourly earnings yeah. between men and women. But there's that multiple, exists. Yeah, but there's multiple reasons for that. One of them is gender, but it's not the only reason. Like, if you're a social scientist worth, worth your salt, you never do a univariate analysis. Like you say, well, women in aggregate are paid less than men. Okay, well, then we break it down by age. We break it down by occupation. We break it down by interest. We break it down by personality. But you're saying basically it doesn't matter if women aren't getting to the top because that's what's skewing that gender pay gap, isn't it? You're saying, well, that's just a fact of Not life. Saying women it aren't necessarily matter. going to get to the top. Actually, yes. That is what he's saying. It doesn't matter if women are underrepresented in positions of power. It doesn't matter if women aren't represented at all in positions of power. What matters is that the best person for each job has that job. And a lot of what makes a person well-suited for a job is an interest in that job. If only a small number of women are interested in positions of power and vast numbers of men are interested in those same positions, it is unlikely that the women are going to be the best people for those positions. If 10,000 men are interested in a job and only six 
women. It's going to be incredibly unlikely that the best woman is going to be better suited for the position than the best man. It's just a game of statistics. There are just a lot more men to choose from. So it's much more likely that one of the men will be the best. It's funny, you know, I've spoken to many women who are absolutely convinced that as a point of principle, more women should hold positions of power. But when I ask those same women whether they themselves are interested in holding positions of power, they all say no. Oftentimes, women point to little girls. They say, my little girl said that when she grows up, she wants to be president, and I want to give her that opportunity, or some such nonsense. The desires of children often change as adults. This is because it takes some time to identify our aptitudes and identify our interests. The reason why a child might want to be president has nothing to do with the job of being president and everything to do with a child's vanity. Children recognize the benefit of being the president. Presidents enjoy a great deal of respect, or at least they used to. Children do not recognize the work that the job of the president actually entails. When the child grows older and discovers the things that they're interested in, and recognize that they, they don't have much of an interest in diplomacy or politics, they may no longer want to be president. This is the problem I see with the women's movement. They say that they want more women in positions of power, but they have no interest in doing the work it takes to get to a position of power. They also have no interest in actually assessing the value of the women who do aspire to positions of power against the men that they should be competing with for those positions. There seems to be this idea that women have such a significant disadvantage in society, there is no possible way that they could actually compete against men in certain positions. And so we, as a society interested in egalitarianism, must force companies to put women in positions of power, despite the fact that they may not be as qualified as the men they're competing against. This is insane. No, I'm not saying it doesn't matter either. You're saying, I'm it's saying there are multiple five. reasons for it. Yeah, but those reasons, why, why should women put up with those reasons? Why should, why should women, women be content not to get I'm not saying that they should the put up with it. I'm saying that the claim that the wage gap between men and women is only due to sex is wrong. And it is wrong. There's no doubt about that. The multivariate analysis have been done. Well, so I, I can give you, you an example. You keep on talking wait, about multivariate analysis. Let me give you an example. I'm saying that 9% pay gap exists. Yeah. Yeah. That's a gap between men and women. I'm not saying why it exists, but it exists. Now, yeah, if you you're a woman, that seems pretty unfair. You have to say why it exists. But do you agree that it's unfair? If you're a woman... Not necessarily. And on average, you're getting paid 9% less than a man. That's not fair, is it? It depends on why it's happening. I can give you an example. There's a personality trait known as agreeableness. Agreeable people are compassionate and polite. And agreeable people get paid less than, dis than less agreeable people for the same job. Women are more agreeable than men. Again, a vast generalization. Some it's women not are not more agreeable than yes, men. Yes, that's true. But that's right. And some women get paid more than men. So you were saying that, by and large, women are too agreeable to get the pay rises they I'm, deserve. No, I'm... Yes, that is what he's saying. This is another one that she actually gets right. Peterson contradicts her because she's not being precise. He clarifies what he's saying. But this particular, what you're saying is, is actually accurate. So you were saying that, by and large, women are too agreeable to get the pay rises they I'm, deserve. No, I'm saying that that's one component of a multivariate equation that predicts um, salary. It accounts for maybe 5% of the variance, something like that. So surely so you the need answer... About another 20, you need about another 18 factors, one of which is gender. And so there is prejudice, there's no doubt about that, but it accounts for a much smaller proportion of the variance in the pay gap than the radical feminists claim. Okay, so rather than denying the pay gap exists, which is what you did at the beginning of this conversation, shouldn't you say to women, rather than being agreeable and not asking for a pay rise, go and ask for a pay rise. I... Make yourself disagreeable with your boss. Oh, definitely, there's that. But I also didn't deny it existed. I denied it existed because of gender. Okay. See, because I'm very, very, very 
careful with my words. So the pay gap exists, you accept that, but you're yes. saying, I mean, the pay gap between men and women exists, but you're saying it's not because of gender, it's because women are too agreeable to ask for pay rises. So it's make one them, of the reasons. Okay, one of the reasons. So why not get them to ask for a pay rise? I've Wouldn't that be a fairer way of proceeding? I've done that many, many times in my career. And they just I've don't. counseled, oh, they do it all the time. You can, it's, so one of the things that you do as a clinical psychologist is um, assertiveness training. So you might say, often you treat people for anxiety, you treat them for depression, um, and, you, and, and maybe the next most common category after that would be assertiveness training. And so I've had many, many women, extraordinarily competent women in my clinical and consulting practice, and we put together strategies for their career development that involve continual pushing, competing for higher wages, and often tripled their wages within a five-year period. And you celebrate that? Of course. So do you you agree that you would be happy if that pay gap was eliminated completely? Because that's all the radical feminists are saying. It would depend on how it was eradicated and how the the disappearance of it was measured. And you're saying if it's at the cost of men, that's a problem. And you're saying if it's at the cost of men, that's a problem. This particular question is so face value obviously engineered to cast Jordan Peterson as a misogynist that it's laughable. I think usually when he's interviewed by somebody who intends to mischaracterize him in some way, the interviewer tends to be at least a little covert about their intentions. Kathy Newman is either unaware of the transparency of her intention or else she just doesn't care if people know what she's trying to do here. Either way, it's a very poor way for a reporter to represent themselves. It would be one thing if Kathy Newman initiated the interview by saying to Jordan Peterson, I believe you're a misogynist. I'm going to try to show the world that you're a misogynist. I'm giving you an opportunity to contradict my supposition. But according to subsequent interviews with Jordan Peterson, Kathy Newman, before the interview, represented herself as an objective reporter. She was courteous and kind to him and acted as if uh, he would be treated fairly in the interview. It was not until the questioning began that he realized what her true intentions were. If I were to bet on this, I would guess that Kathy Newman was unaware of the transparency of her intention. I think that she is so convinced by her hyper-feminist agenda that she doesn't even realize that she's treating Jordan Peterson unfairly. That's how far gone she is. Completely delusional. And you're saying if it's at the cost of men, that's a problem. Oh, there's all sorts of things that it could be at the cost of. It could even be at the cost of women's own interests. Because they might not be happy if they get equal pay. No, because it might interfere with other things that are causing the pay gap that women are choosing to like do. Like having well, children. Well, or choosing careers that actually happen to be paid less, which women do a lot of. But why shouldn't women have the right to choose not to have children or the right to choose they, those they, demanding careers? They do. They can. Yeah, that's fine. But you're saying that makes them unhappy, by and large. I'm saying that that... No, I'm not saying that. I'm, I, and I actually haven't said that so far You're in the saying program. it makes them miserable. No, I said beginning. that what was making them miserable was having part was having weak partners. So here, Kathy Newman conflates two things Jordan Peterson said in the interview. He immediately corrects her. And actually, in hindsight, I don't think that she did this on purpose. I'm, I'm not saying that she's not horribly nefarious. I do think she is horribly nefarious. But I don't think in this particular instance, she was trying to conflate what Jordan Peterson was saying. I genuinely believe that Kathy Newman's brain actually just mixed this stuff up. People make mistakes. I think this was just a mistake. So I'll give her half a pass. I would give her a full pass, but the derision in her voice is so smug, self-righteous, and demeaning that a full pass is impossible. I would say that many women around the age of, I would say between 28 and 32, have a career family crisis that they have to deal with. And I think that's partly because of the foreshortened time frame that women have to contend with. Like, women have to 
get the major pieces of their life put together faster than men, which is also partly why men aren't under so much pressure to grow up. So because for the typical woman, she has to have her career and family in order pretty much by the time she's 35, because otherwise the options start to run out. And so that puts a tremendous amount of stress on women, especially at the end of their 20s. I think I take issue with the idea of the typical woman, because, you know, all women are different. And that's why I want to just put another quote to you from the book. Well, you they're say, different in some ways and the same in others. Okay. You say women become more vulnerable when they have children. Oh, and yes. you talked to one of your YouTube interviews about crazy harpy sisters. So simple question. Is gender equality a myth in your view? Is that something that's just never going to happen? It depends on what you mean by equality. You know, Being if treated you mean fairly, men and women getting are, the same opportunities. Fairly. People... We could get to a point where people were treated fairly or more fairly. I mean, people are treated pretty fairly in Western culture already, but we can well, They're really that. not, though, are they? This is something I really hate about British culture. I love England. I lived in England for a year in 2000 and 2001. It was one of the best years of my life. But the English people have totally been sold on this idea that people are not treated equally in our society. They have totally been sold on the idea of the gender wage gap, that anyone who doesn't love immigration is a racist, that homosexuals are oppressed, etc, etc, etc. It's funny, Jordan Peterson just explained why the wage gap is not necessarily the product of sexism, and Kathy Newman just completely ignores this. She just follows up the next question by assuming that the wage gap is the product of sexism. It's probably a good idea to listen to your guest before for asking follow-up questions. They're Move really back. not, though, are they? I mean, otherwise, well, why would there only be seven women running FTSE 100 companies in the UK? Why, why would there still be a pay gap, which we've oh, discussed? Well, that's easy. Uh, like, that's why are women at the question. BBC saying that they're getting paid illegally less than men to do the same job? Well, let, that's not fair, well, is let's it? Let's go to the first question. They're both those are complicated questions. Seven, seven women, re repeat that one. There's seven women seven. running the top FTSE 100 companies in the UK. Okay. Well, the I first, mean, the first question might be... Um, why would you want to do that? Why would a man, man want to do it? I well, mean, there's a lot are, of money, it's certain, an interesting there's job. There's a certain you know? number of, of men, although not that many, who are perfectly willing to sacrifice virtually all of their life to the pursuit of a high-end career. So they'll work. These are men that are very intelligent. They're usually very, very conscientious. They're very driven. They're very high energy. They're very healthy. And they're willing to work 70 or 80 hours a week, nonstop, specialized at one thing to get to the top. So you're saying women are just more sensible. They don't want that because it's not a nice life. I'm saying that's part of it, definitely. This is a so you're saying tactic that Kathy Newman employs throughout the interview. She takes some example that Jordan Peterson gives as one element of a plethora of elements that might contribute to some phenomenon. And she repeats back his comment, but in a completely exaggerated way, which characterizes Peterson's explanation as the only explanation. Jordan Peterson makes clear that this is one example one reason why maybe something is true. Kathy Newman then says, so you're saying this is the only reason why this is true. This actually might be an effective technique against somebody who's not accustomed to these attack style interviews because she is accurately representing the statement. She's just misrepresenting the way in which the person would apply it to the world. They're saying this is one of many things and then she repeats this, so you're saying this is everything. It's close enough to what they're saying that it's difficult for them to contradict. Most people probably wouldn't have the tools to appropriately contradict this kind of mischaracterization of their ideas. That's probably why Kathy Newman has become so adept at using this and why she relies on these techniques so much for the Jordan Peterson interview despite these techniques failing so miserably all the time. She's become so accustomed to using these techniques she doesn't even know how not to use them.
So I work so you, for... So you don't think there are barriers in their way that prevent them getting to the top oh, of those Oh, there are companies. some barriers, yeah. Like, other, like men, for example. I mean, to get to the top of any organization is an incredibly competitive enterprise. And the men that you're competing with are simply not going to roll over and say, please take the position. So it's, let me come back to my question. It's all-out warfare. Is gender equality a myth? I, I don't know what you mean by the question. Men and women aren't the same, and they won't be the same. That doesn't mean they can't be treated fairly. Is gender equality desirable? If it means equality of outcome, then almost certainly it's undesirable. That's already been demonstrated in Scandinavia. Because in Scandinavia... What do you mean by that? Equality of outcome is undesirable. Well, men and women won't sort themselves into the same categories if you leave them alone to do it off their own accord. I've already seen that in Scandinavia. It's 20 to 1 female nurses to male, something like that. It might not be quite that extreme. And approximately the same male engineers to female engineers. And that's a consequence of the free choice of men and women in the societies that have gone farther than any other societies to make gender equality the purpose of the law. Those are ineradicable differences. You can eradicate them with tremendous social pressure and tyranny. But if you leave men and women to make their own choices, you will not get equal outcomes. Right. So you're saying that anyone who believes in equality, whether you call them feminists, call them whatever you want to call them, should basically give up because it ain't going to happen. Only if they're aiming at equality of outcome. So you're saying give people equality of opportunity, that's fine. It's not only fine, it's eminently desirable for everyone, for individuals and for society. But still women aren't going to make it, that's what you're really saying. What the hell is this woman talking about? How do you get women aren't just going to make it out of Jordan Peterson's statement that equality of opportunity is more desirable than equality of outcome? To say that striving to provide people with opportunities they desire is a superior goal to striving to represent every group of people in every profession in no way suggests that women aren't going to make it. What Jordan Peterson is really saying is that equality of opportunity will permit women to succeed in any discipline in which they would like to succeed. Equality of outcome would force women to do jobs they don't necessarily want to do. Therefore, equality of opportunity is true equality, and equality of outcome is oppression. Kathy Newman is just so stuck on this attempt to brand Jordan Peterson as a misogynist that I'm not sure she's even processing what he's saying to her. Kathy Newman's problem, I believe, comes down to my theory of the fundamental misperceptions of reality by leftists. Kathy Newman fundamentally misperceives the way the world truly is today. She's convinced of an oppressive patriarchy which subjugates women in a significant way in our society. Because of this misperception, it is apparently impossible for her to properly comprehend what Jordan Peterson is explaining to her. I suspect, however, that Kathy Newman somewhat doubts her own perception of the world. This is revealed by the desperation with which she is trying to show Jordan Peterson's misogyny. I think that if she were 100% fully convinced that she was right about all of this, she wouldn't be so desperate to prove Jordan Peterson is a sexist. She would be confident that he's a sexist and, and she would take on a less desperate tone. She would be cavalier. So she's not just trying to convince the world, she's trying to convince herself. Every time Jordan Peterson responds to her with a reasonable answer that actually makes sense in the world in which we live, this frustrates her efforts but she never loosens up her grip on her ideas. She just strengthens it. And this is why we end up with the insanity we find ourselves in throughout the interview. But still women aren't going to make it. That's what you're really saying. It depends on your measurement techniques. They're doing just fine in medicine. In fact, there are far more female physicians than there are male physicians. There are are lots of of disciplines that are absolutely dominated by women. Many, many disciplines. And they're doing great. Let me put something else to you from the book. You say the introduction of the equal pay for equal work argument immediately complicates even salary comparison beyond practicality Mm -hmm. for one simple reason. Who decides what work is equal? 
it's not possible. So the uh-huh. simple question is, do you believe in equal pay? Well, I made the argument there. It's like it depends on so who defines it. So you don't believe in equal pay? <laughs> Again, Jordan Peterson is laughing at the absurdity of this woman's accusation. You don't believe in equal pay. The reason Jordan Peterson is laughing is because she's actually right. Again, she has accurately assessed Jordan Peterson's position, but she has stated his position in such a way that it indicates to her audience that he's a sexist. Jordan Peterson knows what she's trying to hint at. He's not an idiot. But now Jordan Peterson is in a difficult position here. He genuinely does not believe in equal pay because... That would be equal pay irrespective of merit. But he knows that Kathy Newman's audience will perceive that statement to mean that he believes that women should be paid less than men simply because they are women. But that's not what he believes. So now Jordan is being put in a position where he has to say that he believes in equal pay even though he doesn't because he knows what people will think. What Jordan Peterson should have said in this moment, although it's easy for me to say sitting here watching the video for the seventh time, is that every individual transaction has to be negotiated by the individuals involved. If a group of women are baking cakes, and they're only making $10 for every cake they sell, and a group of men are building houses, and they're making a million dollars for every house they sell, it doesn't make sense to complain that the women aren't making as much money per item sold as the men. If women, on average, are interested in doing comfortable jobs in which very little work needs to be done, they shouldn't complain that, on average, they're getting paid less than men who tend to take on strenuous, often dangerous jobs that are terribly uncomfortable, in which an enormous amount of work needs to be done. Kathy Newman would, of course, say, so you're saying men always work harder than women. No, Kathy Newman, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, on average, men work harder than women. Some women are incredibly industrious. Some men are incredibly lazy. But on average, men do tend to work longer hours. They tend to be more productive. That's not just me. Those are the facts. You can look that up. Well, I made the argument there. It's like it depends on so who defines it. So you don't believe it. in equal pay? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that at all. Because a lot of uh, people listening to you will just say, I mean, are we going back to the That's because you're actually not listening. They're I'm just listening very carefully and I'm think. hearing. This is actually a pointed criticism aimed directly at Kathy Newman, but she doesn't quite cop on. Jordan Peterson is trying to tell Kathy Newman that she's not actually listening to what he's saying. She's just projecting her own ideas onto him. It's funny that he directly criticizes her to her face. It's, it's even funnier that she doesn't get it. But what's really laugh out loud hilarious is that she immediately does exactly what he's accusing her of doing. In the same moment, he's accusing her of doing it. She actually talks over him in order to do the thing that he's accusing her of doing. It's, it's like this woman just... Okay, she has no interest in listening to the person she's interviewing. She's completely and utterly absorbed in making the case that Jordan Peterson is an evil misogynist. It's mental, and it's hysterical, and it's ridiculous. Because a lot of uh, people listening to you will just... Say, I mean, are we going back to the dark ages? That's because you're actually not listening. You're I'm just listening very carefully, and I'm think. hearing you basically saying women need to just accept they're never going to make it on equal terms, equal outcomes is what how you defined it. No, I didn't. If say I was that. a young woman that equal... watching that, I would go, well, I might as well just go and play with my Cindy dolls and I give up trying that. at school because I'm not going to get the top job I want because there's someone e- sitting there saying it's not possible. I and said it's not that desirable. equal it's outcomes are desirable. That's what I said. It's a it's a yeah, bad social goal. I didn't say that women shouldn't be striving for the top or anything like that, because I don't believe that for a second. Striving for the top, but you're going to put all those hurdles in their way, as has been in their way for centuries. And that's fine. You're saying that's fine. No, no, I think I really think The patriarchal system is just fine. That's silly. I do. I think that's silly. I really do. Here, Kathy Newman just lays out a string of mischaracterizations of Jordan Peterson. She starts out by actually misdefining equality of outcome. You basically saying women need to just accept they're never going to make it on equal terms, 
equal outcomes is what how you defined it. This is clearly something that she has either never heard before or really doesn't know anything about. Kathy Newman defines equality of outcome as success on equal terms. So it's obvious to me that she actually doesn't know what Jordan Peterson means by equality of outcome. If someone conducting an interview doesn't understand the definition of a term used by their guest, like opportunity of outcome, the interviewer needs to ask the person they're interviewing to define the term. This moment, in particular, makes her look like a hysterical, ignorant lunatic. And then it gets worse. She doesn't even allow Jordan Peterson to correct her. She just keeps talking over him. It's seriously hysterical. Feminists I often hear complain that men accuse them of sounding hysterical. Well, this is why. I mean, look look at your situation. You're hardly unsuccessful. Yeah, and I have battled you quite hard to get exactly. where I've got to. Good so that's you. okay. Battling is good. This is all it's about inevitable. the fight. But you talk about men why, fighting. Why I mean, let me just have, put another thing to you from the book. Why you're wouldn't saying you have to real... battle for a high-quality position? Well, I notice in your book you talk about real conversations between men containing quote, an underlying threat of physicality. Why wouldn't you have to battle for a high quality position? Kathy Newman just completely skipped over Jordan Peterson's question. There is this tradition in journalism to not answer questions of the person you're interviewing, and I hate this. The theory goes like this. The person doing the interview is not the subject of the interview, and therefore they shouldn't have to answer any questions. However, if the person conducting the interview clearly has an agenda, their motives should be questioned, their philosophy should be explored, their agenda should be revealed to the audience. So Jordan Peterson turning the interview around on Kathy Newman and asking her why any person shouldn't have to battle for a high-quality position is not only a reasonable thing to do, it's an excellent thing to do. The fact that Kathy Newman ignores the question shows her total cowardice. I also think that it shows her lack of thoughts about the subject. She's getting to a point of desperation where she's asking ridiculous questions that she hasn't even really considered. Oh, there's no doubt about that. What about real conversation between women? Is that something, or are we sort of too amenable and reasonable? No, it's just that the domain of physical conflict is sort of off limits for you. And well, you just said that I fought to get where I've got. Yeah, but... What does that make me? Well, I don't imagine, man or I don't imagine that you... Yeah, to some degree, I suspect you're not very agreeable. So that's the thing. Successful women, I'm not very agreeable. Right. But I've noticed that, actually, in this conversation. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the interview. Jordan Peterson makes a valid assessment of Kathy Newman, and Kathy Newman actually laughs with Jordan Peterson. She laughs, I believe, for two reasons. One, Kathy Newman recognizes the accuracy of Jordan Peterson's statement. This in itself is funny because it actually validates a lot of what Jordan Peterson has been saying throughout the interview, and in doing so, invalidates a lot of the accusations that she's been trying to level against him. Two, Kathy Newman realizes that this truth is strongly evident in the interview being conducted in that very moment. She is clearly not agreeable. It's plainly obvious. It's so obvious, in fact, that it's kind of humorous. And so because of this double truth, the truth that supports Jordan Peterson's position and the truth that is evident in the moment, Kathy Newman cannot help but to laugh. And Jordan Peterson takes a lot of joy in finding a way to break Kathy Newman. And I don't mean that he's breaking her in a way that says, I, I've beaten you, but rather, I've won you over. I, I brought you over to my side. I've turned you from being my enemy into being my friend. And this is why Jordan Peterson gets so excited when he says emphatically, I've noticed that actually. He recognizes that she recognizes her own disagreeableness and he's trying to turn that moment into a moment of camaraderie. He's trying still to have an amenable conversation. <sighs> oh, Jordan, how optimistic of you. <laughs> actually, I, I love how eternally optimistic Jordan Peterson is. I find it immensely endearing. 
And I'm kind of the same way. It's it's really sad that Kathy Newman has to disappoint him. And, and I'm right there with you, Jordan. I am super disappointed. It, she could have done better. She could have acted with integrity. But she just chooses not to. Yeah, to some degree. I suspect you're not very agreeable. So that's the thing. Successful women. I'm not very agreeable. Right. But I've noticed that actually in this conversation. At least and I'm sure it served well. your career well. Successful women, though. Mm-hmm basically have to wear the trousers, in your view. They have to sort of become men to succeed, is what you're saying. Well, if they're going I've to... I've had to fight to succeed, if therefore I'm an ordinary man. If they're going to compete against men, certainly, masculine traits are going to be helpful. I mean, one of the things I do in, in my counselling practice, for example, when I'm consulting with women who are trying to advance their careers, is to teach them how to negotiate and to, and to be able to say no and to not be easily pushed around and to be formidable. And you need to... If you're going to be successful, you need to be smart, conscientious and tough. Well, here's a radical idea. Why don't the bosses adopt some, the male bosses, shall we say, adopt some female traits so that women don't have to fight and get their sharp elbows out for the pay rises? It's just accepted if they're doing the same job, they get the same pay. She wants bosses to take on feminine characteristics so that women won't have to compete for high power positions. What the hell is she talking about? It's not the bosses that dictate that men compete fiercely for positions of power. It's the other men competing against them. Bosses, in general, don't care one way or another how ferociously you fight. They, they merely care who, in the end, is the best for a particular job. Now, if a job requires some, someone to be ferocious, perhaps that might influence their decision. But on the flip side of that coin, the position may require somebody who is more tactful, who can employ more finesse, and who is more charismatic. So in those cases, that person will win the job. Making bosses more feminine will not change the way people compete for positions of power. Sometimes I, I think that Kathy Newman just says things to contradict Jordan Peterson. It's like she's not even thinking about what she's saying. She just says whatever sounds opposite to what Jordan Peterson says. This woman cannot accept the world as it is. She thinks the world's the way it is because bad people have made it that way. She can't accept that maybe it's that way just because it's natural or maybe that's the way most people prefer it. She can't possibly fathom that a world without perfectly representative equality could ever be something that is natural or desirable. This has to be something that was dictated to us by the oppressive patriarchy. There's no chance that women just don't care about positions of power. It must be that men have oppressed them. Honestly, I don't think there's a possibility to save people like Kathy Newman. They will always be lost in their delusion. They will always be convinced that their group is victimized. They will never accept that the world might be the way it is because of the natural inclinations of society. Well, here's a radical idea. Why don't the bosses adopt some female traits so that women don't have to fight and get their sharp elbows out for the pay rises? It's just accepted if they're doing the same job, they get the same pay. Well, I would say partly because it's not so easy to determine what constitutes the same job. But that's because, arguably, there are still men dominating our industries, our society, and therefore they've dictated the terms for so long that women have to battle to be like the men. No, it's not true. It's not true. So, for example... Well, I can give you an example very quickly. So I worked with women who worked in high-powered law firms in Canada for about 15 years, and... They were as competent and put together as anybody you would ever meet. And we were trying to figure out how to further their careers. And there was a huge debate in Canadian society at that point that was basically ran along the same lines as your argument, is that if the law firms didn't use these masculine criteria, then perhaps women would do better. But the market sets the damn game. It's like... And the market is dominated by men. No, it's not. It's not. The market is dominated by women. They make 80% of the consumer decisions. That's not the case what? at all. If you're talking 80%. about people who stay at home 
looking after children, by and large, they are still women. So they're going out doing the shopping. But that is changing. They make all anyway, the what I want to decisions. Ask you. Okay, so, so what the market is driven you. by okay. women, not men. Right. Okay, and if you're a lawyer in Canada... And they still Canada, pay more for the same sort of goods. That's been proven. That men, for the, you buy a blue bicycle helmet, it's going to cost less than a pink one. Okay, so having been owned, as Kathy Newman has been here, she proceeds to move on to another point. Wait, wait, wait. That was too good of an answer. You just explained to me far too competently and far too convincingly that men don't actually establish the criteria upon which people can succeed in their given professions. You're right, you're right. The market dictates that. And and, and then you've gone further and effectively come by and destroyed my assertion that men dictate the consumer market. In fact, I've had to concede that women make most of the consumer decisions. So I'm just gonna move on from this point because you're so effective at countering every point I'm making and destroying my argument so effectively that I'm just gonna forget that I ever made those comments. <laughs> I'm just gonna move on to another tack by which I can try to make you look bad. But what Kathy Newman actually does is go one step further than that. She does one more pretty horrible thing. She not only dismisses this entire subject, but she openly criticizes housewives and stay-at-home moms. That's not the case what? at all. If you're talking 80%. about people who stay at home looking after children, by and large, they are still women. So they're going out doing the shopping. But that is changing. What a fucking piece of shit. I really hate this aspect of contemporary feminism. It was pervasive when I was a kid, and you know I think it's waning a little bit, but it still persists in a lot of corners, especially in Europe. It's this idea that if you are a housewife, you're a mother, then you are somehow inferior to the working woman. Of course, Kathy Newman thinks this, because she's, she's sacrificed any possibility of a happy life for her soul-sucking career as a vampiric journalist making a living off the character assassination of her guests. Apparently, she has two kids. I, yeah, they're gonna turn out great. I'm sure they like her just as much as everybody else. Okay, so, so what the market I'm is driven okay. by women, not men. Right. Okay, and if you're a lawyer, and they in still Canada, pay more for the same sort of goods. That's been proven. That men, for that, you buy a blue bicycle helmet, it's going to cost less than a pink one. The pink tax is total bullshit. So there's this idea that if a product is marketed to women, that that there's some kind of artificial price differentiation that specifically targets your gender because of misogyny or, or some such nonsense. But the market dictates the price of everything. Women can buy blue-colored things. You're not being forced to buy the pink stuff. That's your choice. Occasionally, women's products genuinely cost more to make. Sometimes there's extra frills or decoration on the female products. Men tend to prefer the bare-bones models of things. But in most cases, male-female price differences are simply dictated by what the target demographic is willing to pay. If a company has found that women are willing to pay more money for a pink razor, they're going to charge more for the pink razor. They're not doing this out of sexism. They're doing this to maximize their profit margins. If you don't like being charged extra money for pink, just buy a blue razor. Is it not desirable to have some of those female traits you're talking about? I'd say that's a generalization, but you've used mm -hmm. the words female traits. Is it not desirable to have some of them at the top of business? I mean, maybe there wouldn't have they been don't a, predict a, a success. banking crisis. They don't predict success in the workplace. The things that predict success in the workplace are intelligence and conscientiousness. Agreeableness negatively predicts success in the workplace. So and so does high that, negative emotion. You're saying that women aren't intelligent enough to run these top companies? No, I didn't say that at all. So this is one of the most egregious so what you're saying is moments. Peterson says that specifically female traits don't predict success in the workplace. He then goes on to list the traits that do predict success in the workplace. He's then interrupted by Kathy Newman. So you're saying that women aren't intelligent. 
This is also a laughably absurd moment, but Jordan Peterson does not laugh at this one because this is actually a serious accusation. I mean, I don't even know how to criticize this. It's so obviously absurd. It's so clearly malevolent. Kathy Newman is really stretching with this one. I'm not sure what she expected Jordan Peterson to answer. I suspect that she didn't care. I think that she simply saw this moment as an opportunity to plant the seed of influence in the minds of her viewers that Jordan Peterson doesn't think women are intelligent. And I think that this is another one of her tactics. She looks at the things that Jordan Peterson says, not as explorations of ideas, but as potential semantic missteps that could be contorted into something that sounds sexist or bigoted or some other evil thing. She may not even care if Jordan Peterson reveals himself as being a vile person in the interview. She might only care about whether Jordan Peterson might say something that could be construed as indicating that he's a vile person. I think that she thinks that Jordan Peterson is so evil that it is somehow her duty to expose this to the world, whether she can actually draw it out of Peterson or not. If she can't reveal it, she'll make people believe it anyway. There seems to be a lot of this going on these days. This seems to be the new tactic of the left. If you can't actually expose people on the right as bad people, just convince everybody they are anyway. You're saying that women aren't intelligent enough to run these top companies? No, I didn't say that at all. You said that female traits don't predict success. But I didn't say that intelligence wasn't. I didn't say that do. intelligence and conscientiousness Well, you were saying that intelligence female and conscientiousness traits. by implication are not female traits. No, no. I mean, that's very dangerous territory. I'm not saying that at all. Are women less intelligent than men, by large? No, no, they're not. No, the the, the data on that's pretty clear. The average IQ for a woman and the average IQ for a man is identical. There is some debate about the flatness of the distribution, which is something that James Damore pointed out, for example, in his memo. But there's no difference at all in general cognitive ability. There's no difference to speak of in conscientiousness. Women are a bit more orderly than men, and men are a little bit more industrious than women. But the difference isn't big. But over, that averages of, into consciousness. Plenty of men who aren't necessarily as well, industrious. Well, of course. But we'll, are, we'll, okay. we'll, but no, female but, traits, but you asked though, me why are they not... Feminine traits. Why are say. they not desirable at the top of... Feminine traits, why are they not desirable at the top of... Business? It's hard to say. I'm just laying out the empirical evidence. Like, we know, the, we know the traits that predict success. But we also know, because companies, by and large, have not been dominated by women over the centuries, we have nothing to compare it to. It's an experiment. True, and it could be the case that if companies modified their behavior and became more feminine, that they would be successful. But you there's no evidence for it. I'm not neither doubtful nor non-doubtful. There's no evidence. So why for not it. give it a go? As the radical because the evidence suggests. Would say. Well, it's fine. If, like if someone wants to start a company and make it more feminine and compassionate, let's say, and caring in its overall orientation towards its workers and towards the marketplace, then that's a perfectly reasonable experiment to run. This is a really silly idea. Success in the workplace is not dictated by masculine traits out of some conscious effort to masculinize office environments or, or something like that, as, as Kathy Newman suggests. Success in anything is naturally competitive. Men tend to be more competitive than women for a variety of reasons. The qualities that allow one to succeed in competitive endeavors tend to appear more strongly in men, and therefore we consider them to be masculine traits. You can't feminize competition. Competition is competition. To feminize competition would mean to soften it. You'd have to apply various arbitrary rules to make competition less competitive. This makes zero sense. It is important, not only to the individual, but also to society as a whole, to fill every possible career position with the best possible candidate for that position. 
If we do not allow people to compete for a position, how do we then discover the best possible candidate? And we're not talking about people physically fighting here. We're talking about one employee working longer hours, being more precise, being more thorough, being more productive, working more diligently, being more polite, being more charming, being more aggressive, making more money for the company. These are the things that get noticed by the boss. So does Kathy Newman want to do away with merit-based hiring practices? I mean, what is she thinking that competition in the workplace looks like? Maybe she didn't work as hard as she's suggesting to get to the position that she's now in. Perhaps she was well-connected right out of university. Perhaps the people at Channel 4 needed to fill a quota of women. Perhaps the standard of quality in journalism was lowered so that she could take a high position in this company. So perhaps she doesn't understand what competition in the workplace actually looks like. My point is that there is no evidence that those traits predict success in the workplace. And there's because it's never been tried. Well, that's not that's not really the case. Women have been in the workplace for what at least ever since I've been around. The representation of women in the workplace has been about fifty percent. So we've run the experiment for a fairly reasonable period of time, but not you know certainly not for centuries. Let me move on to another debate that's been very controversial for you, Um, and this is you got in trouble for refusing to call trans men and women by their preferred personal pronouns. No, that's not actually true. I got in trouble because I said I would not follow the compelled speech dictates of the federal and provincial government, I actually never got in trouble for not calling anyone anything. Right. That, that didn't happen. You wouldn't follow the change of law, which was designed not to outlaw discrimination. Not once it was law. No, no. Why that, well, that's your... what they said it was designed to do. Okay, huh. you cited freedom of speech in that. Why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended. This has got to be the stupidest question she has asked throughout the entire interview. And it's the initial spark that becomes the famous gotcha moment. Why does your right to free speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? Because no one has the right not to be offended. People are offended by ridiculous things all the time. There's a video I saw some time ago of a black woman lambasting a white young man because the white guy had dreadlocks. She was angry because, in her mind, dreadlocks were a black people thing, and white people weren't allowed to do it. You're saying that I can't have a hairstyle because of your culture? Why? Because it's my culture. You know what the box means? Are you Egyptian? No, but then you're not. Wait, we're Egyptian. You know what they're Dude, go. You have no right to tell me what I can wear. Yo, girl, stop touching me. Yo, girl, stop touching me right now. That's no reason, yo. I don't need your disrespect. I don't need your disrespect. Why are you filming this? Clearly, she doesn't know her ancient history. If she did, she would know that white people were wearing dreadlocks thousands of years before it became cool amongst black hippies in America. Now, does that woman have the right to be offended? Sure. Trans people can be offended by stupid things. Black people can be offended by stupid things. Women can be offended by stupid things. Just because you were offended, that does not mean that I have to change my behavior. I can wear dreadlocks. I can tell you that I don't accept your self-assigned gender or your invented gender. I can call you he if you tell me you're a she. I can call you she if you tell me you're a he. Jordan Peterson could tell Kathy Newman that he finds shirts on women offensive. Women who walk around with shirts on, it's, it's offensive to him. Does that mean that Kathy Newman has to then take her shirt off? Do we all have to acquiesce to the dictates of the offended? No, of course not. 
because that's moronic. A lot of the reason why it's claimed that in the West, and especially in America, that we have all this racism that nobody ever actually sees, is that racism by many people on the left is not defined by the intent of the so-called racist, but rather by the perceptions of the people that are claiming the racism. On the left, the idea is that one person's perception of reality is just as valid as another person's actual intent. So if I cross the street because the place I'm going to is on the other side of the street, and a black person thinks that I crossed the street to avoid passing by them, then what I've done is an act of racism. I don't actually have to have any racist intent. I don't even have to have seen the person. But if they perceive my action as racist, it is racist. If you think that sounds completely ridiculous, if you think that can't possibly be what the left actually thinks, I assure you, it is. I've actually had lengthy debates with my liberal friends about this. Now, not every leftist believes this, obviously, but many of them do, and it's incredibly disturbing. They genuinely think that if, if they interpret somebody's action as sexist, racist, homophobic, or in some other way bigoted, then that action was bigoted. That person is a bigot. It doesn't matter to them at all what the person's intentions are. It's only their perceptions that matter. It's basically the Orwellian concept of thought crime manifested in the real world. This is something so absurd that I think probably 20 years ago, no one would have actually imagined that this would be an accepted position of anyone, much much less mainstream liberals. Kathy Newman wants to condemn Jordan Peterson because people claim to be offended by him. She's not making any specific claims about anything that he has done wrong. She's suggesting that his right to free speech should be curtailed anytime anyone finds anything he says offensive. His response is actually perfect. Because in order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. You always risk offending somebody every time you speak. If we stop saying things that we thought might offend people, we would never say anything at all. Kathy Newman doesn't even believe her point is true. She would never administer this rule, offense over speech, universally. She merely wants to apply it to Jordan Peterson. She really hasn't thought through what she's saying. And as I said before, this is the initial point that eventually brings us to the famous gotcha moment. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I'm very glad that I have well, you, get my point. you get my point. It's like you're, you're doing what you should do, which is digging a bit to see what the hell's going on. So and that you, is what you should do. But I you're exercising think... your freedom of speech to certainly risk offending me. And that's fine. I think more power to you as far as I'm concerned. So you haven't sat there and I'm just trying, I'm just trying to work that out. I mean, ha, gotcha. You have got me. You have got me. I'm trying to work that through time. my head. Yeah, yeah. It took a while. It took a while. It did. It did. Yeah. It took a while. <laughs> this is fantastic. There is a reason why this moment has become one of the most famous moments in the history of interviews. I think we often see smug journalists twisting the words of their guests, asking uncomfortable questions and stumping them. But it is extremely rare that we see the guest stump the interviewer. In fact, I don't, I don't think I can ever remember seeing this happen. I'm sure it has, but this was a particularly powerful instance. Kathy Newman painted herself into a corner and Jordan Peterson just said, Okay, so how are you going to get out now? Kathy Newman looked around, realized she was trapped, and didn't know what to say. Kathy Newman has been, as Jordan Peterson pointed out, intentionally aggressive in this interview. She has said things that she knew would make Jordan Peterson uncomfortable. This is a typical strategy of journalists. Oftentimes they will ask difficult questions, intentionally misrepresent the statements of their guests, or otherwise try to frustrate 
the subject of an interview. This is in order to draw out emotion. They're trying to trigger an emotional response from the guest. In this case, she's trying to get Jordan Peterson angry. The strategy goes like this. I think Jordan Peterson is an angry misogynist. He is going to try to calmly present himself as a benign clinical psychologist. If I can really piss him off, his emotion will betray his true feelings. He will drop the facade and he will scream out something that is sexist or in some other way damning to his character. I think that this partially explains why Kathy Newman was willing to keep doubling down on the so you're saying tactic. She was convinced that she was going to draw out this well of anger within Jordan Peterson and she was going to get her revelatory moment. She was going to show the world Jordan Peterson's true nefarious nature as an evil sexist. She was going to win. <laughs> mischaracterizing Jordan Peterson's statements, trying to anger him. These were not her only tactics, however. She also, of course, thought that she was peeling back Jordan Peterson's disarming facade and revealing the dark core of pure evil beneath. But the, the biggest mistake that she made in this interview was her tactic of constantly contradicting Jordan Peterson's points. This tactic is in keeping with her overall strategy to frustrate and anger Jordan Peterson. If, as an interviewer, she employs a variety of tactics that she believes might drive Jordan Peterson to anger, she might get her triumph revelation of his misogyny. But the danger here that I don't think she considered is that if what Jordan Peterson is saying makes sense and you keep contradicting all of those things, eventually you're going to say something that makes so little sense that the subject of your interview can just call you out on it. And that's exactly what he did. In this case, it was strikingly egregious because she wasn't just saying something that made no sense. She was arguing a point that contradicted her behavior at the same moment the point was being made. This is a contradiction that is so insane, so obvious, that when Jordan Peterson merely pointed it out, she didn't even know how to respond. Jordan Peterson didn't even do this in a spiteful way. He just calmly turned a mirror toward her. She looked into the mirror, and she realized, to her horror, the mistake she had made. Her hypocrisy had been laid bare before her. She's looking straight at it on national television. This has to be a petrifying moment. <laughs> it's obvious that she has no universal ethical standard. She has one set of ethics for herself and she has another set of ethics for anyone she disagrees with. Kathy Newman takes a hard position against offending people. She suggests that she's willing to curtail free speech in order to accommodate the feelings of other people. But when it comes to her job, when it comes to interrogating Jordan Peterson, she has no problem at all being offensive. This striking hypocrisy is impossible to ignore. I can't imagine that she doesn't realize that she looks utterly foolish here. She then makes a desperate swipe to differentiate her situation, interviewing Peterson here, with Jordan Peterson's situation in the classroom. You have, voluntary, you have voluntarily come into the studio and agreed to be questioned. Mm -hmm. A trans person in your class has come to your class and said they want to be called and That's she. never happened. And I would call them she. So you would. Kathy Newman is trying to suggest that Jordan Peterson has willingly put himself in the line of fire. He has taken on the responsibility of defending his views in a formal interview. She contrasts this with the innocent victim of an angelic trans person who simply wants to be called by the gender that they feel they embody. But actually, demanding that other people call you she when you were born with the biology of a male is, in fact, a political statement. There is a great deal of debate in, in society today whether trans people are the gender their biology indicates or if they are the gender that their feelings indicate. I believe that you are the gender that your biology indicates, the biology that you were born with. 
So for me to acquiesce to every man who demands to be called a woman forces me to endorse their political position. It forces me to verbally acquiesce to the idea that people can be whatever gender they feel like. This is a position I do not hold. This law would force me, if I were Canadian, to endorse ideas that I do not believe. The freedom I have to call a trans woman he is a freedom of political expression. This is not simply the freedom to say, I, I like the taste of Nutella or I don't like the taste of Marmite. This is not an insignificant right, and this is not an insignificant subject about which I might speak. This is why we have the freedom of speech, so that we can express culturally impactful political opinions. Kathy Newman's legal and natural right to say things that might make Jordan Peterson uncomfortable in an interview is precisely the same right that I have to call a trans woman he. A trans person in your class has come to your class and said they want to be called That's she. never happened. And I would call them she. So you would? I wouldn't. So you've kind of changed your tune on that. No. No, no. I said that right from the beginning. What I said at the beginning was that I was not going to cede the linguistic territory to radical leftists, regardless of whether or not it was put in law. That's what I said. You've and then the people who came after me said, well, you must be transphobic and you'd mistreat a student in your class. I never mistreated a student in my class. I'm not transphobic, and that isn't what I said. Well, except you've also called trans campaigners authoritarian, haven't you? I mean, isn't that... Well, only in the broader context of my claims that radical leftist ideologues are uh, authoritarian, yes, which they are. You're saying someone who's trying to work out their gender identity, who may well have struggled with that, had quite a no tough time over the years. With it, yeah. You're comparing them with, you know, Chairman Mao, who no, just saw the, the deaths of millions of people. Well, just even activists. if the activists, you know, they're trans people too. They have a right to say these things. Yeah, but they don't it, have a right to speak for their whole community. To compare them to Chairman Mao. You know, I could Pinochet, Augusto Pinochet. I mean, that, you know, this is grossly insensitive. No, I didn't compare them to Pinochet. Well, I did compare them to. He was an authoritarian. He's a right winger, though. I was comparing them to the left wing totalitarians, and I do believe they are left wing totalitarians. Under Mao, millions of people died. Right. I mean, there's no comparison between Mao and a trans activist, is there? Why not? Because trans activists aren't killing millions of people. The philosophy that's guiding their utterances is the same philosophy. The consequences are not yet. You're saying that trans activists no. could lead to the deaths of millions of people. What no, I'm saying that the philosophy that drives their utterances is the same philosophy that already has driven us to the deaths of millions of people. Okay, tell us how that philosophy is in any way comparable. Sure, that's no problem. The first thing is, is that the philosophy presumes that group identity is paramount. That's the fundamental philosophy that drove the Soviet Union and Maoist China. And it's the fundamental philosophy of the left-wing activists. It's identity politics. It doesn't matter who you are as an individual. It matters who you are in terms of your group identity. You're just That's saying murderous. things, though, to provoke, aren't you? I mean, Not you a are bit. a provocateur. I never say anything. You're like anything. the alt-right that you hate to be compared to. You um, want to stir things up. I'm only a provocateur insofar as when I say what I believe to be true, it's provocative. I don't provoke. Maybe for humor. You don't set out Now to and then. I'm not interested in provoking. This is a total desperation move on the part of Kathy Newman. She just got owned yet again. And so, unable to formulate an intelligent response, she just says, well, you're just a provocateur. She just dismisses everything he says in one broad stroke. You're just a provocateur. Jordan Peterson's analysis of the left is so sensible, is so accurate, is so profound that Kathy Newman cannot argue against it. So she just throws out a dismissive accusation. You're just being provocative. 
it's possible that she actually believes this. She might think, well, this guy's obviously very intelligent. He can't possibly believe that the ideas of the left-wing activists are comparable to the destructive nature of communism. I I'm not sure. I actually can't tell you what she thinks here. But these are the two possibilities, and they're both terrible. She's either actively attempting to dismiss the sensible, accurate, and profound things that Jordan Peterson has just said, or she is genuinely ignorant and genuinely lacks the education and intellect to comprehend and respond intelligently to what Jordan Peterson has just said. But what or about the least... thing about, you know, fighting and the lobster? Tell us about the lobster. <laughs> Well, that's quite a segue. The reason Jordan Peterson laughs here is because Kathy Newman seems to just drop the conversation they've been having entirely and, and throws out this seemingly random question that has no relation to anything they've discussed previously. Tell us about the lobster. <laughs> this is something that I've seen other interviewers do uh, as well with Jordan Peterson. There is this tactic of ridicule. The tactic is that if you can characterize something Jordan Peterson has said in the past as ridiculous, maybe you can try to discredit him. The lobster thing is a favorite of many interviewers because they clearly don't understand what Jordan Peterson is talking about in that chapter of his book. It's actually quite a brilliant observation about the nature of animals and humans. But these interviewers just want to say, well, you think human beings are like lobsters, so you're clearly an idiot. Uh, I've never heard anyone actually fall for this point of ridicule. I think that it's probably because most of Jordan Peterson's followers are pretty intelligent and savvy and don't fall for the stupid tricks of the leftist media types, which is, uh, you know, too bad for Kathy Newman. <laughs> well, the first chapter I have in my book is called Stand Up Straight With Your Shoulders Back. And it's an injunction to be combative. Um, not least to further your career, let's say, but also to adopt a stance of ready engagement with the world and to reflect that in your posture. And the reason that I write about lobsters is because there's this idea that hierarchical structures are a sociological construct of the Western patriarchy. And that is so untrue that it's almost unbelievable. And I use the lobster as an example because the lobster... We, we divulged from lobsters in evolutionary history about 350 million years ago, common ancestor. And lobsters exist in hierarchies, and they have a nervous system attuned to the hierarchy. And that nervous system runs on serotonin, just like our nervous systems do. And the nervous system of the lobster and of the human being is so similar that antidepressants work on lobsters. And it's part of my attempt to demonstrate that the idea of hierarchy has absolutely nothing to do with sociocultural construction, which it doesn't. Let me just get this straight. You're saying that we should organize our societies along the lines of the lobsters. One might think, having failed at all of her petty, cruel propaganda journalism tactics, that she would maybe pivot. Not pivot to another petty, cruel propagandist tactic, but maybe to a less aggressive, less vitriolic tactic. But no, she once again mischaracterizes what Jordan Peterson is saying. This time, uh, not to infer that he's a bigot, but to infer that he is a crackpot, that his ideas are silly and should be dismissed. What she doesn't reckon is that Jordan Peterson is awesome. I'm saying that it's inevitable that there will be continuity in the way that animals and human beings organize, organize their structures. It's, it's absolutely inevitable. And there is one third of a billion years of evolutionary history behind that. Right? That's, that's so long that a third of a billion years ago, there weren't even trees it's a long time. You have a mechanism in your brain that runs on serotonin that's similar to the lobster mechanism that tracks your status. And the higher your status, the better your emotions are regulated. So as your serotonin levels increase, you feel more positive emotion and less negative emotion. So you're saying like the lobsters, 
we're hardwired as men and women to do certain things, to sort of run along tram lines, and there's nothing we can do about it. At this point, I don't even really want to criticize Kathy Newman. Her tactics are becoming so redundant that to continue to criticize mischaracterizations of what Jordan Peterson is saying is just silly. No, I'm not saying there's nothing we can do about it, because it's like a, in a chess game, right? There's lots of things that you can do, although you can't break the rules of the chess game and continue to play chess. And biological, your, your biological nature is somewhat like that, is it sets the rules of the game, but within those rules, you have a lot of leeway. But one thing we can't do is say that hierarchical organization is a consequence of the capitalist patriarchy. It's like, that's patently absurd. It's wrong. It's not a matter of opinion. It's seriously wrong. Aren't you just whipping people up into a state of anger? And not at all. Your divisions between men and women, mm-hmm. you're stirring people up. You know, you have any critics of you online get absolutely lambasted by your followers. You've and got by to call me, them off, generally. Sorry, your critics get lambasted by you. I mean, is that irresponsible? Not at all. If an academic is going to come okay. after me and tell me that I'm not qualified and that I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about... So I you're not going to say to your followers now, quit the abuse, quit the anger. Well, we'd need some substantial examples of the abuse and the anger before I could detail that question. There's a lot of it out so, there. Okay, so she caps the interview off with an admonition of Jordan Peterson's followers. Jordan Peterson's followers defend him ferociously, so they must be horrible people. Jordan Peterson says, well, I tend to defend myself too. And somehow that's also horrible in Kathy Newman's mind. Kathy Newman quickly throws in a statement as if it's fact. There's a lot of it out there. And she's talking about anger and hatred on the internet. Now, I think this might actually be true in some quarters, but I can actually speak with some authority on this point, because I host a YouTube channel. More importantly, most of my followers are fans of Jordan Peterson, so I have a unique insight into the temperament of Jordan Peterson fans. I can say unequivocally that 97% of the comments I read in my comment section are unbelievably positive. They're not just positive, they are intelligent, conscientious, compassionate, well-considered, and often absolutely brilliant. I genuinely believe that I have the most amazing followers on all of YouTube. I genuinely think that. There are a few trolls, and when I post a debate between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, I get absolutely flooded with hateful comments from Sam Harris fans. So I might say that Sam Harris fans are possibly a little unruly, But Jordan Peterson fans, as far as I can tell, are the best people in the world. After this interview, Kathy Newman and Channel 4 released a statement suggesting that Jordan Peterson fans had threatened Kathy Newman and that she was afraid for her life and and all these horrible things. Bollocks. Here's the thing. I have never seen a single one of these threats. Channel 4, Kathy Newman, nobody's published any of these so-called threats to Kathy Newman as far as I've seen. If there are so many threats, why don't we see them? Yeah, because there weren't any. But, of course, they had to trot Kathy Newman out as the great victim of Jordan Peterson's evil fan base. You know, it's funny, because the interview was all about mischaracterizing Jordan Peterson. The aftermath was all about mischaracterizing Jordan Peterson's fans. In any case, I don't think anybody really bought this. People aren't as stupid as the media thinks. For Well, let, let's take a more general perspective on that. So I've had 25,000 letters since June, something like that from people who told me that I've brought them back from the brink of destruction. And so I'm perfectly willing to put that up against the rather vague accusations that my followers are making the lives of people that I've targeted miserable. Jordan Peterson, thank you. (laughs) My pleasure. Nice talking with you. I love how Jordan Peterson ends this interview with a smile and a nod. It was nice talking to you. (laughs) Just pure class. 
Jordan Peterson is like a cross between Mr. Rogers and Clint Eastwood. Mr. Rogers with a 9mm. He's, he's going to walk into the dilapidated warehouse of the drug cartel with a sweater vest, slip on shoes, and then just execute everybody in there. <laughs> actually, that's a good idea for a character. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to write that. I'm not kidding. That's my next character. I don't know what the script is going to be, but, uh, but that's the character. <laughs> well, that's it for me. I'd like to thank Bill Nicely for contributing $100 to my Patreon account. That's it's kind of mind-blowingly generous. Uh, I set up a system of incentives on my Patreon account. So if you're interested in contributing to the channel, helping this grow, helping me spread reason and rationality throughout the world, uh, the link for my Patreon account is in the description. If you like this video, make sure you hit the like button. If you want to see more like this, please subscribe. And if you hate me... Well, I'm sorry, but if you were born with a penis, I'm calling you a boy. Good night. You know, someone very profoundly once said many years ago that if fascism ever comes to America, it'll come in the name of liberalism. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. Now, 